1: Hey, Canucks fans. Well, I guess they can't win them all as much as we want them to. Welcome to Game Over Vancouver. I pressed the wrong button, so you saw a split second of my guest, uh, the guest that I'm bringing on, but it's worth it. I'll tell you why in a couple of minutes. Welcome to Game Over Vancouver. The Vancouver Canucks lose for the first time in 12 meetings to the San Jose Sharks, dating back, I guess that's at least three or four years. They lose 4-3 in the Shark Tank in San Jose, Uh, Canucks made a valiant effort at a comeback, but it was too little too late, a span of a minute and 22 seconds did the men at the start of the third period. We're going to get into it with my guests, but before we get going, I want to welcome you to Game Over Vancouver on the SDPN Network. That's the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, and right away, before we get going... I want to uh, invite you to subscribe to the channel so you get the videos every single day. Uh, make sure you subs- uh, you hit the bell button, the notification button, and like the video. You don't have to like the fact necessarily that the Canucks lost, but like the fact that I'm wearing my sushi shirt. This is how I roll because it was supposed to be the Canucks, the, you know, the Orca eating up the sharks. And I, I thought this would be perfect. And you guys know my nickname in high school was sushi master. Uh, you probably didn't know that, but I'm just telling you right now that my high my nickname in high school was sushi master, but enough about me. Let's talk about these Vancouver Canucks uh, as we get going. Yes. Subscribe to SDPN. We cover all seven Canadian teams, every single post game, every single game. We do a post game show for them and like the video. And I know that you're going to like my guest. Now this young Good-looking gentleman. We were just joking around before he came on the stream. We're not going to get down. Yes, the Canucks lost, and we want the Canucks to win, but it's a Saturday night. We're in a good mood, and uh, no joke, I've tried to get this guy on three times prior, and they say third time's a charm. We're going to go four times the charm, but it's going to be well worth it. You see him all over the place. He's got his own podcast. He writes for at least two sites, but I'm going to let him tell you all about that. So please welcome my guest, Mr. Trevor Beggs.
2: Uh, first and foremost, I, I, I'm a Canucks writer over at Daily Hive Vancouver, or the offside section of Daily Hive, and uh, ironically, I started over at uh, Daily Hive as an unpaid freelancer in 2013, over back in the City buzz days, so uh, kind of came back full circle there, and uh, yeah, shout out to Rob Williams, he kind of got me as the backup goalie for Daily Hive, so I was in the booth <laughs> for about 10 games last season. Uh, didn't make uh, too much of a fool of myself, so I got invited back for a few more this year, so uh, it's been going well over there. And then on the podcast side, uh, I've been doing Locked On Canucks with uh, my best bud, Kyle Bowen, since March of this year. And got headhunted for that after SB Nation NHL kind of fell apart. Yes. Uh, we're doing some podcast work over at misconduct, but the uh, site is now up and running at nuxmisconduct.ca. So I awesome. uh, try to stay, stay involved there with a good group of guys as well.
1: You and Kyle, uh, just before we get into tonight's game, I love what you guys are doing with Locked On Canucks. I try and catch it when I can when I'm at work or after work, uh, just what's the kind of vibe you're going for? It, It looks like to me, it's, it's two good buds, just not taking themselves too seriously and having fun talking about a team that we, we just love covering.
2: Yeah, you can't take yourself too seriously, and I think we do. Uh, we do try to make fun of ourselves when we can, and uh, we definitely get some heat in the comments as well. Sometimes uh, with uh, <laughs> people uh, jumping on board to making fun of ourselves. So you know, the, the, the skin's got to be thick in this industry. But yeah. you know, it's funny. And I think when when I got he- I got headhunted for Locked On Canucks back in February because uh, no one was doing the show, and I said I- I'm only going to do this with with Kyle. And part of the reason is you know I got I got two young kids. And I don't got the time to do all the production. Like you said, Clay, you know, uh, you know, you and I can talk about hockey, but maybe production, maybe not our, our number one strong suit. But I've, I've proven it tonight. Kyle's a maestro on yes. that side of things. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, Awesome. So Kyle's a maestro on that side of things. And uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, our vibe is definitely, you know, two best buds talking about hockey. But I, I do think Kyle is more of that exacerbated fan. Whereas I, I think the Canucks being bad over the last 10 years has given me a bit more of an analytical side to the game like you know not getting worked up about losses too much i definitely get excited about wins but when they lose it's okay individually like who's playing good who's not playing good what's yeah. happening on the other side of the equation so uh i definitely probably bring a bit more of the the level-headed approach and then you know Kyle is just that you know crazy exacerbated fan so yeah it's a lot of fun
1: and it you know that's uh i love what you said there trevor because whether it's for me here on game over vancouver as you know Parker, Sam, and Kaya—they also we, we all split the duties. Sometimes run together. Sometimes we bring on guests, and sometimes we're solo. But even when uh, it's connects after dark with Parker and me on Monday nights, and um, I he's he knows his stuff. He's very articulate, but uh, he he's pretty like serious guy, and I don't think I'm I'm uh, you know blow you know saying anything surprising here so i often i play the um the the goofy guy to a straight guy and it actually works really well because you can't have two guys exactly the same you just kind of kind of bounce off each other and i think that's what we're going to do tonight so let's let's start with this before we get into the goals what was your overall impression of tonight and were you honestly expecting this kind of game because the, the canucks have played their you know among the most games in the entire nhl three and four all on the road travel last night what what were you expecting and was this game what you expected basically
2: I'm not going to lie, Clay. I I expected a win tonight. I I know it's the seventh game in 11 nights, but you're facing the worst team in the NHL, a team that the Canucks have handled pretty easily twice this month, uh, obviously with a 10-1 score thrown in there. Yeah, I definitely expected a win tonight. And even when the game was 4-2 in the final minutes, I expected the Canucks to find a way to tie it up. And maybe that's just my jaded optimism in this team right now. I know I said I'm the serious analytical guy, but... You know the fan, the fan part of me got uh, the the fan side of me got the better part of me. And yeah. the third period there, I'm like four two, no problem. We're gonna tie this up. It's the San Jose Sharks, of course, better scores. Three minutes left. I'm like, yeah, no problem. We got this in the bag, tying it up, winning it overtime. So yeah. yeah, the game didn't quite play out as I thought, but um, I will say I, I was you know pleasantly surprised with the pushback um, after Elias Pettersson was uh, cross-checked by Matt Benning there because Kyle and I kind of talked about it last week. You know, this Canuck team. They might be winning games. They might be one of the t- uh, top teams in the league in hits, but they're kind of lacking bite and they're lacking a bit of that intensity in terms of standing up for each other. So that part pleasantly surprised me. Although the game overall, I was underwhelmed uh, a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you, Trevor, full, wholeheartedly on the on the fact that I thought the Canucks were going to win too, because with their hot start this year, they almost are giving me almost those 2011 vibes where, no matter where they were in a game, you expected them to win, not you hope they'd win or you, you would pray that they win. You actually expected them to win. So despite the horrible start of the third period, which we'll get into in a few minutes, I fully expected them to come back too. And I thought we would be talking about like an overtime or a shootout win. And we'd be laughing and high-fiving through the screen, but we can still do that. But we're talking about a four, three loss against a team that yes, they've dominated for the past, uh, as we talked about 11 contests. So the Canucks, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunate, but they get to come home now and, uh, but we'll talk about what what's going to happen first, uh, after after this in a second. So, as it usually goes, someone scores their first career goal against the Canucks, and I had you ever heard of Emerson before tonight?
2: Yeah, I had heard about him, okay. but I, I can't say I know a lot about him, uh, but you're right, it is kind of typical Canucks fashion that uh, a guy would score his first NHL, you know, good for, good for Ty Emerson, uh, you know, he's, he had to score against somebody, right, Yeah, uh, or not, but uh, <laughs> I, I will say, I know this guy, you know, scores his first NHL goal, he doesn't... Uh, doesn't really look like a rookie, man. He looks like yeah. he looks as old as I do, you know. Not to say I look like a younger or anything, but
1: uh, well, compared actually, to me, I'm you, the
2: opposite, you know.
1: Well, compared to me, you look very young. So this is a slap <laughs> shot from the point, and actually, it's a really, really. uh, I think if this was against the Joshua Bluger Garland line, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, controlling a bit of the play, and yeah, it was uh, it was from the right point, but it goes over to Smith's right shoulder, so it was actually I've got to give credit. It was an excellent shot, picks the corner from the blue line.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was, you know, one of those goals, you can't really fall Casey to Smith on um, because it was kind of fire through screen. And it's funny because I remember, you know, Kyle Burrow scored one of his only goals for the Canucks neck uh, like that last season. And yeah. a old, I know he was on the ice for a couple uh goals tonight even if he wasn't uh, really factoring to the score sheet too much.
1: Yeah, no, it's nice that Burroughs had a, uh, a couple of opportunities to level Canucks players. I think he held yeah. up a, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> then five minutes later... nice the... guy. He's still cheering for the Canucks. Yeah, He's exactly. Still for the Canucks. <laughs> I think he wants to come back here eventually. He, he knows how weak yeah. we are on the right side. So yeah. Canucks go going the power play and they, they hold possession for the entire minute and, and 20 before they actually score. And Man, actually, with Kuzmenko out, and we're we'll going to talk about that later, and Hronik in on that first unit, they certainly move the puck well. And it just adds another, another weapon, but yes, they go around, around, around. They keep the puck in a couple times, and then it was Hughes uh, to Miller and a cross-seam pass to Hronik who one-times it as Pedersen's getting cross-checked into the net. What would you see on that power play? And isn't it a thing of beauty the way they move the puck when they're on, at least?
2: yeah i mean that power play has not missed a beat with kuzmenko out of the lineup and yeah we'll, we'll save most of that talk for later but you know in the nhl nowadays it's 32 teams I, I think there's not i can't think of a single team in the nhl that consistently runs a power play with two defensemen and three forwards you just don't see it nowadays because yeah. you know your best chance at maximizing offense your best chance at scoring is loading up the power play with four forwards and one defenseman and yeah. it's fascinating to see i you know early days right now with kuzmenko out of the lineup but Fascinating to see that, you know, with Hironic on this top unit, again, not missing a beat. And it kind of happened in that Islanders game too, right? Kuzmengo takes the shot in the face. Uh, kind of takes the air out of the building. All of a sudden, Corona goes on the power play and boom scores on a hundred and I know it was clocked a hundred and seven. I think they dialed it back to one hundred three. But only
1: one hundred three. Yeah, only one hundred three. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, Clay, you and I, if we if we combine for a hardest shot, we might get to seventy there. But
1: uh, and you'd be sixty five yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. So it's one one. We're like, okay, at least we're we're tied going into the first intermission on the road uh, on a back to back. So we're we're good. We're good. Then um, San Jose takes their second lead of the night. It's a Zetters, it's a slap shot, and this came after, this came after. It was a little bit frustrating. The Canucks had a chance to to clear. It. They iced it instead, and then they had a mismatch of players. I believe the forwards out there it was like McKeough, Garland, and Oman, if I'm not mistaken. So obviously they're not used to playing with each other. They're not used to positioning with each other more or less. And it kind of showed as Hurdle went behind the net and sent it to Zetterlin, and he was just kind of there by himself. No one no one took care of him in the in the slot.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too. Uh, I think you're right about Connor Garland being on the ice for that one. Yeah. And, you know, Connor Garland had been on the ice for, I think, three or four even strength goals against all season. And now he's on the ice for two tonight oh. against the San Jose Sharks. So, you uh, oh. know, he he'd been, you know, quietly, I think, one of the best connect players defensively, but yeah. um, wasn't his best night in that department. Uh, Fabian Zetterlin, though, he's a guy who's kind of built like a bigger Niels Hoglander. I think he's about 5'11, 200 pounds. And, oh, yeah, he's a he said he's a chunky dude, um, <laughs> in a good way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, another round chunky but, dudes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, I was kind of fascinated following him in New Jersey, and I know being yeah. in San Jose, not a great situation, but yeah. he's a hard guy to move in front of the net. And I think you saw it on that goal.
1: Yep. No. Well, well said. And then the Canucks get another power. Thank goodness they're getting power plays, and again, some good puck movement by by the 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 divine, the, the awesome five. And then this one, it's actually it's a heroic shot. That bounces off the goalie, Kakanen, off of Miller's shin, and probably an easy, and Besser to his credit, not just his goals, and he gets two tonight, but he is creating so many chances either for himself or with his line mates. He could easily have 20 goals on the season as opposed to 15 with his second one. But yeah, really nice to to see that. And that was one of those beautiful goals that happened in the last 30 seconds of a period. It's such. Uh, such a difference maker because instead of going down two one now it's two two and it's anyone's game despite what happened. But yeah, what you see on that goal and um, yeah, you're happy for you must be happy for Besser, I presume.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I was kind of checking the numbers, uh, you know, um, in the third period there. Uh, I don't know, we'll get to that goal in a bit, but yeah. you know, Besser is almost equal to his, his goal total from last season, which is crazy to think about. Um, You know, I, again, the bounces seem to be going his way. But I also think it's a matter of him putting himself in the right spots, right? Right. Like he's finding the seam in the middle of the ice where the defender's not checking him. You know, he's finding that hole in the middle of the ice. And yeah. that hole is usually there, right? Defenders are usually kind of picking their corners, especially on the PK. They're in the box or they're, they're in the diamond. There is a gap in the middle of the ice. Yeah. Um, and I credit Besser for being able to find that. You know, yeah. just on natural static right now, looking at individual scoring chances created and Besser created nine scoring chances tonight. Wow. Uh, the next closest connect was Roanoke, who created five. So uh, Besser, you know, credit yeah. to him. He's not just he's creating his own luck. Uh, wow. And he had seven shots tonight as well. So
1: good, uh, it's good. not
2: just it's not just all luck for Besser. He's, he's finding a way to, to make things happen for himself.
1: Good. Maybe one day you you can teach me how to read natural stat trick. It's a, a bunch of colors and stuff. I, I do know that the Canucks had a higher expected goals, uh, you know, expected goals, which which tells that they actually dominated, at least in in parts of this game. Okay, so it's two two. They come out for the third. You and I actually we we'll take everyone a peek behind the curtain. We meet during the second intermission. We check out our cameras. We check out our mics. Obviously, I didn't check out my audio levels, but we were fine. And then we're we're all excited to collab for the first time. And we barely get back to our TVs. And we see San Jose pop two. What did you see on the first goal? You know that one where Granlin kind of went behind his net and he skated right down the middle of Besser, Miller, Horonic, and Hughes. What did you see there, Trevor?
2: Honestly, I thought I thought I was having a fever dream for a second. <laughs> 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 kind of blacked out a little bit. But um yeah, it was one of those uncharacteristically slow plays that the connectors still kind of having an intermission snooze there on that goal.
0: Yeah.
2: And Mikhail Granlin, you know, obviously. He's 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 a talented player. Like he's had his moments in this league, but he's yep. he's been sent to San Jose for a reason, or where you know bad contracts go to die. So, um, and then obviously the announcer say after the goal is his first goal in thirty one or thirty two games. Like what a goal to score after not scoring for thirty one or thirty two games. I mean. Yeah. And my goodness, uh, It's uh, I, again, I was kind of flabbergasted on that goal, to be honest with you.
1: Me too. And we get so excited that best of scores are 21 seconds left in yeah. the second period, and we give up a goal 22 seconds into the third period, but not to be outdone. Then Tyler Myers takes a penalty. He had a rough game tonight. Um <laughs> and I'm not I'm not gonna pile on Tyler Myers. He's had some decent games. We know Rick Tucker really likes him. Like it's obvious. Rick Tucker really likes him. So we can't just say Tyler Myers stinks because it's not true. He doesn't stink, but he had a rough game tonight. And then he stinks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then but you know, it, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. Then Hoffman, I, I forgot this guy was still around, he scores the sixth of the season. And this one was interesting because it was um, Hronik, Miller, Miller. And Cole, as it was a four on three because of the coincidental miners at the end of the, the period. And then um, I found that on that play, Hronik, um, usually, obviously, with a three man, it's a triangle, but usually it's one man up top and two men at the bottom. But both Miller and Hronik kind of got sucked up, and that left a two on one down below uh, against Cole. And then the shot goes from, I think it's from Granlin. And then Cole, he didn't put in his own net. He's trying to sweep it away at the same time Mm -hmm. that that Hoffman is already slicing through the puck and then no chance for the Smith there. So um, anything you think they could have done better? Is that just four on three, some skilled players, no matter who you're playing against?
2: Yeah, I mean, Cole could have uh, could have cleared the puck away, I guess. No, I mean, it's a four-on-three. It's it's a tough one, right? Um, at first, I thought Cole put it in his own net, but yeah. obviously, you see the play slowed down a bit, and uh, yeah. that wasn't quite the case. But yeah, Hoffman, another place where bad contracts go. Another <laughs> example of uh, San Jose being a place where bad contracts go to die. Yeah. for yeah. uh, him earning that uh, $4.5 million paycheck with uh, with a goal for the worst team in the NHL there.
1: Is that what's going to happen when uh, you know Rob thinks that you are overrated and when, when, when SDPN thinks I'm overrated, they're just going to ship both of us down to San Jose and create content for them?
2: I mean, no, there's, I think there's worse places to be in the world place, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. We'd okay. be down to San Jose, we'd have some fun.
1: Uh, we would. And, uh, um, and we're not going to name those other cities because we don't want to be banned uh, by them. So then it's 4-2, but we have basically the entire third period ahead of us. And this is where you and I both think that the Canucks have a chance. And they had their chances. They carried play in the third. And then it wasn't until uh, Brock Besser. Yeah, that's And I know you want to talk a bit more about Brock uh, and then about his goal total. But um, yeah, there was a six on it was a six on five. Obviously, it wasn't a part. No, it was six on five. So just one man up. And he there's plenty of time. He actually scored with with a full with more than three minutes left in the game. So how mm-hmm. are you feeling? Firstly, when you saw Besser put that wrist shot in.
2: I thought the Canucks were winning, 100%. (laughs) I was like, you know, more than three minutes left playing the worst team in the NHL. These guys are going to find a way to pop in that fourth goal, send this game to overtime. I think, you know, Kyle and I have been starting to do something on lockdown Canucks called the pregame prophecy. And uh, I was being a little silly and outlandish with it. But actually, I think I'm going to call that for the Kraken game. But uh, I did call a win for the Canucks. And uh, I did call at some point on this road trip uh, or this weekend Slayton, Elias Petters overtime goal to kind of, you know, make us forget about the bad play in his game. Uh, So I thought it was all going to come to fruition, Clay, and it uh, just wasn't quite the case, unfortunately.
1: Quick aside, are you worried about PD's game right now?
2: No, long-term, I'm not. I'm really not. I think it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of the fact that, you know, that line isn't playing the best hockey, and now Kuzmenko's not there. Uh, you know, a little spoiler for segment two, uh, I'm not <laughs> a huge fan of Lafferty on that line. Uh, in general, I find Lafferty and to be a bit redundant mm. together. But in general, I'm not incre- I'm not really worried about Petey's game. Yeah. He's going to figure it out. You know, um, even guys like Connor McDavid, as we're seeing this season, go through bad stretches. So yeah. not worried about Petey.
1: And this is the one part about natural stat trick that I do know how to read: the Corsi for, the Corsi against. He did, yeah. We, his Corsi was seventy-three percent in all situations, so that's yeah. good. He was on on the on the ice for sixteen shots for and only six against, so that yeah. is um, a good. And he's drawing penalties; he's getting cross-checked into the boards. Yeah, <laughs> that was a little scary, but <laughs> and hitting
2: guys too, right? Like yeah. he's he's throwing the body around this season, you know, to you know pull groin or whatever he's dealing with. He would not be a hundred percent, but he's still checking the body, which is awesome to see. Right.
1: So it's interesting you mentioned Lafferty because he plays the entire final two and a yeah. half minutes with the big five, Ronit, Hughes, Besser, Miller, and PD. Yeah, you know, I do like Lafferty's speed for sure. I I, I think he's mm. the fastest um, A to B skater on this team. You really notice it, especially when you first join the team. But yeah, I would love a Hoglander, a Mikheyev, even a Garland, mm. someone out there with better hands maybe for that, uh, yeah. for that last bit. Um, what do you think? Like uh, they did a good job moving around a couple of scary moments. Miller, he always scares me when it he sometimes gets a little too fancy. And then of course, San Jose missed a couple of net opportunities, but is that just simply a matter of, uh, you're not going to score every time, no matter how talented you are, because San Jose, they're good too. They block shots. They get their They're fearless. They get in the lane. The goalie actually was pretty good tonight, despite his horrible stats coming yeah. in this game. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, anything they could have done better there? Or is that just a matter of 11 guys on the ice, just doing their best to do their jobs? 12
2: guys yeah Yeah. I mean what stood out to me during that segment or uh, that sequence was that Hronik just loves to rip it a and I know time was (laughs) running out but Hronik gets the puck and it's just like bong gets the puck back bong this guy's looking for that goal you know I don't know if he's trying to catch up to Hughes or he wants a little Norris love or what it is but it seemed like uh, Philip Hronik really wanted to be the guy who was uh, gonna get the winner there but you know it's in general, it's again interesting to see you know the two defensemen up there, Heronic and Hughes, keep doing their thing, keep getting pucks on net. Yeah. I know they had their kind of gaff on the Grandland goal, but uh, in general, man, oh man, I just feel so blessed to watch a pairing like this play for the Vancouver Canucks right now. And uh, I know it's a post game show, don't I? But for me personally, I'm trying not to get caught up in the minutia too much of a, yeah. a November loss when I see you know Heronic and Hughes doing what they're doing right now.
1: You know, and that's a perfect way to wrap up this first segment is uh, we don't make excuses. San Jose, uh, for the most part, was full value for the win in, in terms of uh, they, they stayed in there with, there with the Canucks. But yes, uh, seven games in 11 and a lot of those on the road and three and four on the road. Usually back-to-backs you get at home, not away. So this was was the tricky part. So the Canucks, uh, I'm not sure if it gets easier. They have, um, they have Anaheim on Tuesday they have Vegas on Thursday. So, uh, and then, yeah. And then I think, doesn't it thin out a little bit after that? I, I thought it gets a little bit. Yeah, well, different. I know mean, they
2: played Calgary on the Saturday. Um, right. And so, again, I, you know, Kyle and I talked about that kind of heading into the weekend. It's five straight divisional games, right? Seattle, yes. Saturday, Anaheim, Vegas, and Calgary. And, you know, Ian Cole has kind of talked time and time again about good teams don't lose multiple games. Good teams, especially, don't lose multiple games within their own division. Right. And I would say, you know, there's Sharks team that's going nowhere. This was probably the most losable game of the road trip, if losable is a word, um, <laughs> if losing to the Sharks can be an excuse. Uh, you go into next week, and I think, you know, you don't want to lose to Calgary. Uh, you've already lost to Calgary yeah. uh, once recently. Uh, Vegas, that's going to be a tough, tough test. You'd love to see the Canucks come up on uh, on top on that one.
1: Yeah,
2: And, you know, an Anaheim Ducks team, the Canucks should be favored there as well. So, yeah. Uh, tough schedule now and then yeah after that is uh tuesday december 7th against new jersey i've been in the booth for daily high for a couple games this season but i have not been as a good old-fashioned beer drinking fan so i'm going to that one as a fan oh uh, sweet so i'm excited for that one
1: i'll be there too we'll have to make sure that we hey. uh, we, we, we get to high five each other and there your, we go there, go. there we go awesome so you vibration t-
2: of the century in the, <laughs> wall, in, in My, the lower bowl yes exactly <laughs>
1: So, Trevor, you teased our two segments now that are two topics that we're going to touch on for segment to Kuzmenko and our Canucks deep pairing, our, our, our wonderful pairing. Let's talk about Kuzmenko real quick. So he, he gets scratched for last night's game because Rick Tockett wants him to play tougher. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how tough I'd play after taking a J.T. Miller slap shot to the face, but uh, he's got to work through that. And we've already we already know what he's capable of. And then. I guess because of the short turnaround, and/or they don't want to change the lineup from a five-one victory last night in Seattle, um, they they go with the same lineup. So that's two straight uh, scratches for Kuzmenko. Is there a story here, or is this just a coach showing a relatively not young player, but inexperienced in terms of NHL time, um, just kind of teaching him some tough love? What's your what's your read on this one, Trevor?
2: Yeah, I was surprised that he didn't get back into the lineup tonight. I mean. Yeah. You know, I know the Canucks played well against Seattle, uh, especially in that third period. My goodness, I don't know if I've seen a better third period from this team mm-hmm. in quite some time, which just saying something how, uh, considering how good they've been this season. Yep. But man, oh man, it's like, talk to a smart guy. This team is, again, like you mentioned, Clay, seven games in 11 nights, second night of back-to-backs. You know, it's good that this team played. It's like DiGiuseppe or Amon or yeah. uh, maybe even like a Lafferty. I know they love Lafferty right now, so maybe not him, but... You just, you think that there would have been a way to get Kuzmenko in. And Kuzmenko's been a shark killer, you know? I mean, uh, not that it's, uh, you know, the Canucks won 12 straight games against the Sharks, obviously. Kuzmenko played a role in a few of those wins. But, uh, uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't get back into the lineup tonight. And I I think, I I guess you're right, Clay. It's just the fact that the team played really well in Seattle. Stick with the same lineup. But, I mean, if he's sending a message, you know, you figure one game would do the trick. Um, the Great two point. games did kind of surprise me.
1: Yeah, and especially yeah, I kind of went against my own argument there. If you're going back to back on the road, you think he has fresh legs, and so then you bring someone out. um Maybe you know my theory is uh, I would have. I think they would have brought out Neil Zaman, but he just signed a two-year contract, and he responded with two assists last. Yeah, he was time. good. But, he but was I good do, in Seattle. Yeah, but I do think he's the natural. He's the. He's the least uh, least storylines. If you bring Oman out, because he was the one who just got called up, you could, I guess, yeah, yeah you're you're not going to sit Lafferty, you're not going to sit Joshua, not, so maybe to me Bovillier is the outside chance, is the other guy, but mm-hmm. then it's another story of a another four million dollar player, yeah, being, being sat. So for me, if I had to choose, it would probably be Niels Oman. I don't know you'd agree with that, or if you you have someone else in mind.
2: For me, it would be Filippo Giuseppe. Oh, yeah. And I feel weird saying that because going into the season, I kept saying, no, Fieldy just said he's my guy, you know. It's a 30-year-old guy. You know, I'm a 30-year-old guy, and this guy's kind of worked his way up. He's grinded. And now he's uh, in the NHL full-time. <laughs> but it just kind of feels like he's you – I know he forechecks hard, and you've seen that in every game part of the season. Yeah. I think his work ethic is what's kept him here. Um, but he's just been kind of quiet the last few games. I, I think he's a guy you could sit for an Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Think- Problem with uh, sending P- Phil DiGiuseppe for a night.
1: So, newsflash: we just learned Trevor Biggs' age is thirty. So, if we're looking for equivalents, are there for me? Are there any forty-nine-year-old players in the NHL right now? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's no.
2: uh, that's that's a great question.
1: I think Jagger's is my age, but I yeah, but he's not in the NHL. He's oh no, still...
2: you're you're younger than than oh. uh, Jager. Yeah, yeah. Jagger's in his fifties or Jager's in his fifties. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and the other story you want to talk about, and I know you wrote about this recently on on offside for, for daily hive is, uh, well, actually I'll let you introduce it because I think it's a great topic and I think you should introduce it.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Corona and Hughes. Um, it's been on my mind recently. Like, are these, are these guys the developing the best pairing in Vancouver Canucks history? And I know it's early, you know what, we're just a bit of a quarter of the way through the season, but in my mind, it's like, are there, have there been better defense pairings in Canucks history? And, To me, it's almost like the whole argument for when Quinn Hughes came in the league. You know, Kyle and I were saying back at our old network, Canucks, Wisconsin, it's like, you know, a couple of games and it's like Quinn Hughes is the best defenseman in Canucks history. Mm -hmm. And people didn't like it because he played five NHL games. But it's like, (laughs) this guy's different. He's different. And it's the same thing with this Hronick and Hughes pairing. They are different. We have not seen a pairing like this in Canucks history. So my angle after the game in Seattle on Friday night for Daily Hive was, you know, Heronic and Hughes, this is the first time in Canucks history where the Canucks have had two defensemen with point streaks of 10-plus games in the same season. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, they're only the the fourth and fifth defensemen to do it in Canucks history. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe the other defensemen were Doug Hallward, Yuri Bubla, and Dennis Kearns. Wow. And Bubla and uh, Hallward did it in the early 80s. <laughs> so <laughs> the Canucks haven't even had a defenseman have a 10-game point streak since the early 80s. Yes. And now we've seen two defensemen do it. Within the span of thirty-two days here, Clay. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's unreal stuff. And obviously Hughes I had another point tonight. He's up to an eleven game point streak. Yeah. Uh he's now him and Haronica both had eleven game point streaks this season, which is wild. Yeah. And I guess the sneaky thing to watch out for too is the Canucks record is fifteen games. So maybe there's a chance that Hughes can get there. And who's really doubting him at this point? But yeah, I don't know, Clay, I, is there anyone in your mind? Is there a better? Has there been a better defense pairing in Canucks history?
1: I love that angle. Before we get into a couple candidates for best pairing, uh, I obviously a lot of what we see is what they do on the offensive side, the way they 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 complement each other, the way they hold the line, the way they do that quick swap. So they're on their strong sides or weak sides, whatever you call it. They're one timer sides. We we see all the brilliant offensive, and then someone might say, well. Well, I don't know. They don't look great on defense all the time, but no, Hughes uh, took forever to, for him to give up a even strength goal. And because they are pushing so much on offense, it helps their defense. There, because it seems like they're rarely in their own end. And when they are in their own end, it's when they're getting beat by some thirty-year-old, thirty-five-year-old Finnish guy going, you know, going <laughs> coast to coast. So, what is their defensive profile like? I, I don't. I haven't got a chance to get into. I don't know if you did. Uh, you were able to get into that for your story is on the defense side. Are they fine too, or is it? Are we being mesmerized by their offense
2: yeah you know defensively uh they've still been pretty strong they had a lull i think you know over the first kind of dozen games of the season like they were just putting up unreal numbers like i'm not even sure if they were scored on uh within the first kind of 12 games of the season like it was it was no. it was something else but um yeah over overall they're still they're still ripping up on that awesome. side um so yeah yep. defensively i mean i mean you look at minutes played right now yep um, and they're the uh, 11th highest uh, ice time in the league in terms of a pairing together. But yeah, the, the defensive numbers have dipped a bit, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, still overall, I mean, you know, they're definitely tilting the ice when they're out there. Awesome. Um, they outscored the opposition 21 to nine when they've been on the ice at even strength. So okay. uh, pretty unreal stuff from that pairing. And yeah, I just look at how dynamic both of them are. And you know, I was, I was a heroic skeptic coming into the season. Right. I mean, Loved what he did last season for Detroit, but the body work before that was a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, it was, a, it was a steep price, and the Canucks needed him to hit. And man, oh man, not only has he hit, but he's looking like one of the best defensemen in the NHL on his own. Yes. So, yeah, it's uh, really boding well for the Canucks' future right now. And I, I, honestly, I'm going to say right now, I think they might be the best defensive pair in Canucks' history.
1: Well, you rarely get to trade for a bona fide number one, number two, whatever you want to call them, right shot defenseman. You got to de- you got to do draft and develop those guys, and maybe you know, I was uh, on the bus ride back from Seattle. I was talking to all the fans there, and just maybe in three or four years, Trevor, we're looking at a Hughes, Hronik, Tom Volander, Hunter Brustevich, DPD, like some some really young some young nucleus. Okay, chat before we get to the Q and A, uh, before we get off this topic, you let us know in the chat where do Quinn Hughes and Philip Hronick stand up as a pairing compared to other D pairings in the past? And Trevor and I are each going to offer up one pairing. We're not saying they're better than Hughes and Hronick, but at least we got to consider. um, I I know this isn't the one that Trevor's going to say. So I'll offer up Edler and Tanev. I will say that because they were part of some of our, our, our best years and I know Tanev was just coming into the league when we did the 2011 cup run. Um, but yeah, I, I look at Edler and Tanev as, you know, left shot, right shot um, more. I, t- I guess they're kind of the, the polar opposites almost. Like He's and Roenick. They're the stay at home guys, especially Chris Tanev, but their Tanev was the block, you know, a uh, shot blocking machine, uh, tried to be durable. Edler tried to be durable, but Edler was a bit more offensive. Flair wasn't afraid to take the big shot. And I, I think together, they're even better than they are individually. I'm not saying they're better than Houston and Roenick, but I were off, I would offer up Edler and Tanev at least as a comparable. How about you, Trevor?
2: Yeah, for me, and I, I really wanted to go back in the time machine and pick someone from the nineties, or early two thousands, but uh, you know, I kind of set out the top. I'm thirty years old, so I don't have the uh, the tough insight of the of the ninety uh, of the nineteen nineties. Yeah. And from the early two thousands, I mean, the Canucks had good defensemen and Jovo and Olin, but it just seemed like yes. there wasn't that one pairing that really stood out where you went, man, oh man, these guys are absolutely killing it. For me, it's uh, it's hamus and Bieksa. I think the Canucks' number one pairing. Uh, during the 2011 run and yeah. not could they produce some offense? I mean, BX, you know, had some seasons of 10 goals or 40 points, you know, not a dynamo offensively, but, you know, solid. But those guys, it just did not get scored on a lot. Uh, and yeah. they were so reliable, uh, so dependable. They're tough. They're physical to me, like they are probably the number one contender uh, for best defensive pairing of Canucks history. And yeah. <laughs> when I look at them compared to Hughes and Horonic I don't even think it's much of a debate. Uh, now, using and Heroic, of course, they got to go do it in the playoffs. This is right. an early take, but uh, I'm hopping on the bandwagon early. Using in Heroic, the best yeah. defensive pairing in Connect's history.
1: I love it. We love the hot takes here. And yes, I'm thinking about the 94. So, 94, if you're 30, what? Oh, you were basically born in 93, right?
2: Yeah. My parents said one of my first words was boo <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: That's awesome. So, if we remember '94. I can't remember who played with who, but of course we had the Mays and yep. the the Babbages and, and, and way back then. And there there were some good defenders back then. But yeah, I I'm you know recency bias for me as well. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what Hughes and, and Heron do. I'm I'm just thinking now uh, before we get off this topic. So for the Canucks, if we agree that they're either there or on their way there. Um, how about against the rest of the league? Like, who else are who are the really top pairings a- across the league? Like, I- I'd say McCarr and Taves, but Taves hasn't had the best year. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is out there right now. That's I- I'm thinking of the top teams. Like, who does McAvoy play with in um, in Boston?
2: Well, McAvoy. I don't know. McAvoy did have a chunk with Lindholm last year, but okay. uh, for the most part they'd split them on pairings. I think yeah. Matt McAvoy was with Grizzlick. I'm trying to see right now on uh, using good old money puck. uh That's cool.
1: While you while you do that, I'll read some from the chat. Yeah. So all interesting. So we got uh, fan girl who's a big Hamius fan says it's Hamuse and Biexa, and then Coach Rob says, "What about the Ed Edjovanoski days?" That's uh, that's fair. Alex says Hamius and Garrison. Yeah, I don't. I think Jason Garrison was that great here. Uh, Lefty all around (laughs) says Edler and Tana were better defensively, and then we have Biex and Edler. We have BX and Edler. Oh, and then someone says BX and Edler. don't come close to Hughes and Roenick. Um, Interesting. And Christian Earhoff, yeah, but he's only here for a cup of tea. Uh, so, yeah, some, some good ones there. Thank you, chat. Those are good. Those are good. What do you see?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Theodore, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, and Vegas would be a pretty good one right now. I mean, yeah. that's a pairing that helped them win a cup. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the Golden Knights have been really good this season as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the other you- ones seem like, I think. Yeah. He- I really like, I know Minnesota struggled this season. I really liked Brock Faber's game in Minnesota. Yeah. I think that guy's going to be a hell of a player. And uh, Jonas yeah. Brody and Brock Faber, their underlying numbers look fantastic right now.
1: Can you look uh, up Rangers for me? Because Rangers are the number one team right now, and Adam Fox is out. So yeah. I don't even know who's doing what for them.
2: Yeah. I mean, recently, uh, I'm not sure who uh, would be playing them. I mean, it was Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren for a long time. I think okay. they would qualify. Yeah, um, I also think uh, McCard and, and Taves would qualify as well. Yeah. I think they're probably the, the best pairing in the league.
1: And Truba's uh, Miller, too busy Miller
2: slashing, is, uh, yeah, too,
1: slashed, too busy slashing people in the head. You see that today?
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was so crazy. Holy, right. I couldn't believe that when I saw that. <laughs> but um, hey, how about uh, Gustav Forsling and L- Oliver Ekman-Larsson? <laughs> <league? laughs>
1: Yeah, two guys forever connected to the Vancouver. That that was a good one, actually. That was very good. Yeah, yeah. So, you guys, uh, as we
2: also throw uh, Dougie yeah. Hamilton, a yoga seeker, yeah. in, there. I think they've been they've been really rock solid for that New Jersey Devils.
1: So, viewers, as Trevor and I wax on about uh, awesome deep pairings, start getting your questions in the chat. Uh, and you guys, you guys see me all the time either on here or Connects After Dark on my own show. So, uh, we're gonna we're gonna direct these questions at Trevor for the next five to ten minutes. So, get your questions in, whether it's about tonight's game whether about it's the Canucks or his hot take on Hughes and Hronik already one third away, not even a third away into their first season, christening them as the best Canucks D pairing in franchise history. get your questions in to, uh, to us right now. So the first one is from fan girl. Yes. There we, there we go. Trevor and clay. Who do you think goes to the all-star game for the Canucks in Toronto? Is it just one player or more than one? And, and she says, Trevor, I'm a huge Ham Hughes fan because I live in northern BC. Yes, she's very loyal to Ham Hughes and loyal to us. So thank you, fangirl. So we know that the all-star, each conference, sorry, each division sends 11 players, nine skaters and two goalies. And if you have a team of, uh, you know, a division of eight, eight teams, you only get one if at the most two, once in a while, if you're the home team, you get three like Tampa did. What do you think? Uh, there's some definitely some candidates here to go to the all-star team, all-star game from Vancouver.
2: Yeah, I think they should just break the rules and send six Canucks for the Pacific Division. How about that?
1: Our whole PV one and Demko.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you know, Miller, Pedersen, Besser, Hughes, Ronick, and Demko. I'm <laughs> they can pick another five guys from the other teams. You know, David, maybe. Drysaddle yeah, maybe, yeah, those know. guys.
1: Yeah, overrated. No, uh, uh, truly, Hughes uh, is, is he, the lock. He's got to be. He's the lock.
2: Yeah, I, I think. I think it's. I think because the NHL or the all-star game, they they do want to get the, the most, uh, you know, the biggest names there. Yep. I think it's probably Hughes and Pedersen or Hughes and Miller. Yeah. Uh, or Hughes and Demko. I, I would agree with you, Clay. I think Hughes is a lock, and then it's yeah. probably Miller or Pedersen or Demko.
1: Yeah. And, and you look across, you know, you're, you're always going to be battling, even though he's the McDavid and dry all, right? And there's a, I, I, there's a lot of good players in the, in our division. But when I think about goaltending, I, I can't, think of uh i guess you could look at the biggest goalies but you know i I don't, I don't see two goalies better than demko for sure in our division
2: well i was crapping all over cam talbot at the beginning of the season i was on the locked on kings podcast being like awesome. you guys are going into the season with cam talbot and phoenix copley and lo and behold cam talbot is a better save percentage than Demco right now so. i actually
1: watched that one i watched that one that you're on locked on kings yes and you were. uh that's good. Hey man, stick to your guns. Stick to your guns. Yeah, <laughs> Cam Talbot's coming back down to earth. Mark my words. <laughs> there you go. Darth Nutella asks you: Should Hoglander keep playing on the fourth line, or is it a time? Is it time that he gets a turn in the top six? So, and a, and as a corollary to that, who do you bring out if you put Hoglander in the top six, Trevor?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think he's forcing his way up the lineup. And I did love the take from Sat, uh, Sat Shaw, mm. where he said he kind of likes Hoagland on the fourth line. It frees him up to drive his own line. That was different mentality, and I kind of appreciated that take. But at the end mm. of the day, I just think Hoglander is playing too good to be on the fourth line. Yeah. And if he's going to play on the fourth line, you just got to find a way to get him more minutes. Like in that Seattle game, Hoaglander had less than 10 minutes of even strength ice time. Every other Kanaka, or the, sorry, I think this is overall ice time, but mm-hmm. Hoglander played 954. And every other Kanaka more than 12 minutes, it's like he was arguably one of your best players out there. And you're still, you know, having this guy basically ride the pine compared to the rest of the team. So yeah, I think he's got to play higher in the lineup. I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier in the show here, but you know, with that line top line right now of Peterson with Mikhaev and Lafferty, it's like, you know, with all due respect to Lafferty, if Mikhaeve was injured, I'd get it because to me, Lafferty and Mikaive are similar players. They're yeah. both speedster. They both play good 200-foot games. But you take Kuzmenko off that line, put a finisher like Hoglander on that line. Yeah. So Yeah, I I think Hoglander should go up the lineup. I mean, I'll say actually going into the season, uh, when Kyle and I were talking on Lockdown Canucks, what I wanted to see in the top six was I wanted to see uh, Kuzmenko, Pedersen, and Besser. I thought that was probably the best way to get the most out of the Besser. was mm. put him on that top line now. It's worked with Miller, which it didn't totally work last season. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to see that on the top one, and I want to see Hoglander and Miller uh, on the second line together. So, right with yeah, yeah. yeah. as well. But yeah, I, th- I think if Hoglander keeps playing like this, you got to put him up the lineup.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, Kayan asked about Kuzmenko. Kyan, just uh, rewind about 15 minutes. We we actually spent about five minutes on Kuzmenko. If you could do that, that would be awesome. Chris Thorncroft says, Jeff Brown and Yurkei Lume. Yeah, that was good because Lume was a skater, and Jeff Brown had the bomb. So, almost like Hughes and Heronik, uh, a light combo. I like that one. I like that one. Um, David asks, um, if Alvin doesn't make any big moves before the deadline if he doesn't which I think he will if he thinks this is the mm. best team shot he got how far do you think this current iteration of the Canucks can go I think they're destined to a, a, a second, third whatever the order is match up with the Kings To although the Kings are, are playing well but um, I, know I still think Vegas will win the division anyways how far do you think the Canucks go in the playoffs this year and it's great that we're talking about the Canucks in the playoffs
2: yeah I mean I'm, I'm, I'm a dreamer man why not go all the way I I um, <laughs> Honestly, I look at that Western Conference and, you know, Vegas is a great team, but I don't think they've played their best hockey and maybe they're saving it. Um But I think if the Canucks can bolster their defense, like, you know, you look at goal- Demko and I think he'd be one of the best goalies in the league. Mm-hmm. They have some of the best star power in the league. Uh, I think they got four forward lines that can roll right now. I think it kind of comes down to health and what they can do to improve the blue line. Yeah. But if they can improve the blue line and if the team stays relatively healthy – I honestly kind of think the sky's the limit for this team. I think they could surprise a lot of teams come playoff time.
1: I do, and honestly, uh, Trevor, when we coming in this season, I was like, "Oh, I hope Rutherford and Alvin don't get too reckless at the trade deadline." But if they're if they are way ahead of where they think they are, and if if they're fighting for first in the division or even a second place spot, hmm. why not go for it? Like uh, this might be the best chance you have in the next three or four years. Truly. truly. Yeah.
2: Well, it's I, I don't think it's a secret anymore. Yeah. We talk about you know the Canucks in like two two more years to like have their cup window open. Their yeah. cup window was open right now. Yeah. Now is the time for this team to to go all in. Uh yeah. probably well they, they do need to add another piece on the blue line in some way, shape, or form. But right. you know, I, I, I have the confidence in this team to you know make a run this season. Obviously they could flame out and run one, but I also think they could they could make a run to surprise some people as well.
1: And let's end with this one. A great question. What might a new Philip Hronick contract look like now just so everyone knows he's on the last year of a 4.4 million dollar deal he is an rfa so it's not like he he can ask for the moon yet he's an rfa at the end of this and we do have money like tyler myers Anthony Beauvillier, teddy bluger sam lafferty dakota joshua i said tyler myers but i say it again because he's worth so much ian cole and wow well, there's still mark friedman casey de smith all coming off the books and then what's Ekman Larson's penalty next year? Okay, does uh next year is still okay. It's not bad. It's 2.4 million. It's after that that goes up yeah. to four. So given all that, knowing that PD has a new contract, what makes sense for her? I, I think we agree that we want him back.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah.
1: So what might a new contract look like, Trevor, for Philip Ronick?
2: I think it's seven million plus. Yeah. Um, you know, Hughes is at seven point eight. I don't know if it gets above that, but I think it gets pretty close. I mean, it just depends how the rest of the season goes. Yeah. But based on the way he's played right now, I'm actually scared to look at the Athletics uh, player card model when it comes out. Because Heroic last year was valid in, as an $8.1 million player, according to Are you to the serious? Model. Yeah. Yeah, based on his play last year, an $8.1 million player. Now, that's one model. Okay, like, let's not get too carried away. But, you know, I, to me, he's not even a number two defenseman. He's playing like a number one defenseman right now. Yeah. And, and I just, it's easy to say that Hughes is propping him up, but like, I just watch the way he plays and his poise of the park, his smarts in his own end, the way he can wheel and open up space in the offensive zone. Like he is the real deal. And again, I kind of stood out top of the show, like honest person here. I was kind of skeptical of what he was going to be coming into the season, but he's blown away my expectations, but I, I see him as a, you know, and, and he's a right shot defenseman. It's the most yes. valuable commodity in the league. So yeah. I I think if they can get him under seven point eight, which is what Hughes is making right now, it's probably a win. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, so yes, we're all fixated on the Elias Pedersen new contract, but just as important to this team, I'm not gonna say more, but just as important or close to be just as important will be this Philip Hornik extension as well gonna be something exciting to to keep an eye on well trevor we got to do this again i think it was worth the wait but it means i want more so we will get you on at least one or two more times this season once again uh, thanks for your time tell everyone uh, where they can find all of your good work
2: yeah you can uh, follow me on twitter uh trev begs b-e-g-g-s You can find my work on uh, Daily Hive Offside and uh, you can follow Locked On Canucks uh, on YouTube just like at the same spot, that same great website where you can find Clay's great work as
1: well. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Trev, hang on tight. Uh, I'll I'll connect with you as soon as I press end stream. So for everyone else, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. On your way out, give this video a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe to SDPN so you get um, all of these game over shows for all seven Canadian markets. But for us, the next game is Vancouver-Anaheim on Tuesday night. Sam returning from overseas will make her much just like this was a much anticipated collab. She will be making her much anticipated debut, not debut return to game over Vancouver as she takes on, as she hosts the game over show after the Canucks host the ducks. And hopefully they get back on the winning track against a Pacific division opponent. So thanks again to Trevor. Thanks again to all of you for being here tonight. I hope you enjoy the rest of your night and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend as always take care of yourself and go Canucks go.